All right. Good morning, church. All right. Great to see each of you this morning. So Psalm 118 begins with a beautiful statement. And it says this. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And here's the reminder of the character of God. It says, his faithful love endures forever. And then the psalmist says, let all Israel repeat his faithful love endures forever. Would you say that? I'm going to say it and then you repeat it after me, okay? Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. forever. All right, that wasn't bad. We're not going to try that again, but (laughs) all right. It's great to have you here this morning. Um, I think we have someone here that hasn't been here for a while. And I think he's sitting over in the back there. Would that young man stand up for us real quick? Karen, you can stand with him. So uh, this is Tom Camel's first service back with us. Thank you, brother. Love you guys and uh, continuing in prayer for full recovery. Go ahead. Amen. All right. Thanks for your prayers and praise our God. All right. Great to see you, Tom. I had breakfast with Tom uh, two days ago and just had a blessed time sharing. Uh, If you've never gotten to talk to Tom individually, I would encourage you to do that because I think you will find your heart uh, deeply encouraged by his love for Christ and his uh, faithfulness to God's word. So uh, that's great. Vinny, I like your shirt. Stand up and show everybody your shirt there real quick. No, Jesus is king. All right. So amen. Praise God. And his faithful love endures forever. So uh, on the 19th, which is Father's Day, we're going to be doing a child dedication service here. We have a a couple new parents uh, that are requesting that, and we're going to enjoy that together on Father's Day Sunday morning. So if you have uh, children and uh, you've wanted to participate in a child dedication service, Uh, Please see me after the service. Make sure you see me today so that we have some time to talk about that. Uh, So just that you're aware that that is uh, coming. The other announcement I have is that Vacation Bible School uh, begins on the 20th of June. And there's a big group of volunteers that are going to be helping and serving in that ministry together. Uh, Sherry Miller is requesting a meeting with you at the front of the auditorium immediately following the service today. So before you go out to the snack area, come to the front and uh, she has a meeting with you just quickly to go over some things. Uh, The volunteers are pretty much complete. If you are interested in just filling in in some uh, general way, uh, she, she said you can just come and see her. But all of the official positions that we needed to fill are filled, which we praise God for. And if you'd like to help just in being around, sometimes it's nice to have some gophers around when you're running a ministry like that. So be in prayer also uh, for that ministry. I'm going to ask Ed Quinones to come and make one more announcement, and then he's going to lead us in prayer together. Amen. Um... Hey, listen, before we open up, uh, before I give this announcement, listen, if you look behind you, look to the sideway. If you don't know that person, just give them a fist bump and say, God loves you. Will you do that? Will you do Let's look behind you and see that. Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. So on June 18th, on June 18th, 
uh, the day before Father's Day, we're having a men's breakfast. We want you to sign up in the back. Uh, we're going to have, uh, it's from 9 to 10. You, it's from 9 to 10. We're going to have a little a testimony time, and um, we are uh, going to have serve some eggs, bacon, um, hash browns. I know the women will want to come, but no, it's only for men. So please sign up in the back, and uh, 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 we want to make it, we, it's a time of fellowship. We, there's so many new people, new faces, and we want to get to know you. So, amen? So let's open up in prayer. Father, we thank you for such a great and mighty salvation, Lord. Thank you that we are a people of eternal hope. And Lord, we thank you that one day we will meet you face to face, where there is no sadness, where there is no evil, where there is no jealousy, but only love. Lord, thank you. Thank you for such an eternal hope. And Lord, we pray for Doug as he comes up, Lord, and gives us his word. Prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, O oh God, to receive what you have in store for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you stand and worship with us this morning? <clears throat> You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever. Forevermore, you are victorious. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever. Forevermore, you are victorious. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you
Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever, forevermore. You are victorious.
the beggars. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Sing it again. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. beggars now we're royalty we were the prisoners now we're running free we are forgiven accepted redeemed by his grace darkness you give 
and children can be dismissed for junior church ages five up through third grade. 
You can go to the back. Um, I want to just say it's great to be back. Um, I, I won't take too long. I'll just give you a kind of Cliff Notes version. So Shuri and I were in um, Iraq uh, visiting my daughter, and we just got back uh, last Sunday, Sunday afternoon. So it's wonderful to be back. And, and all I can say is it was, the trip was better than I anticipated. It just... I mean, I, there was all kinds of potential hurdles, one being my knee, which I'm getting operated on here in about a month. And, you know, God just, it wasn't perfect, but it didn't keep me from doing a thing. And we were up hills, down hills, up steps, down steps. I mean, the whole thing. Um, the thing that really was probably most impressive to me is just to see what God is doing in Iraq. You know, sometimes you kind of think, well, that's that other country and... And boy, I, I had a chance to just hear one testimony after another testimony of Christians, some of which who barely got out of their village before ISIS came in. Because we were right up, we were, we were 45 minutes from Mosul. That's where we were located, where we were staying. And, um, and, and just hearing their testimonies and their vibrant faith for Christ. And there's a lot of work to be done in that country, a lot. But God is at work, and Christians are there ministering to the refugees and the people who are struggling and helping people get reoriented to, I was, yeah, my, we were just completely blessed with the whole trip. And to be, be there with my daughter, just one quickie, I, I, I supposed to be cliff notes, sorry. Um, so if, if you know anything about Iraq, they have what they call the uh, federal Iraq, which is everything that's not Kurdistan. Okay, Kurdistan is in the north, federal, the whole thing's Iraq, there's federal, and then there's, then there's Kurdistan. Okay, that's how they piece it, piece it up. Anyway, Sarah, we were in Kurdistan, and we couldn't actually go into federal Iraq, so we were right there at the border, um, because I would have to go to Baghdad, and it was complicated to get visas. So, so we stayed there. The village she ministered in was Karakosh, was actually inside the, the federal Iraq, and once you know it, they had a picnic. We had a picnic where we were staying in Kurdistan, and 60 people traveled an hour and a half just because they were so blessed by ministry my daughter had had to them in that village. Isn't that amazing? So, you know, as a dad, I mean, I give the glory to God, but as a dad, you're going like, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, just, um, I would ask you to pray for her because that particular ministry now is being Funds are being shifted to Ukraine, and so she has to make some decisions about what, what is next. And if you just keep her in prayer, um, see what God actually does. But it was an excellent trip, and we did attach a section going to Greece with it. Sarah wanted to go to Greece, so that was really good. Like, I'm a crazy history buff, so we spent hours in museums, and so the whole thing was just terrific. Just had a wonderful time. But... Um, it's great to be back with you, and thank you. I want to thank everybody for praying. I knew God's people were praying. It's just, it was just quite obvious to me. So my wife and I were blessed, and, and so it's, we're, it's great to be back with you. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Revelation chapter 2. We're uh, in this series on uh, the seven churches um, in Revelation 2 and 3. James and Tim, the last two weeks, kind of led you led you up to the actual passage that we're looking at now where we're be looking at each individual church. And today we want to talk about the church at Ephesus. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment. 
Okay, I'm going to choose a name, and I'm not thinking of you, if that's your name, okay? But, so I'm going to say John, but no John I know, and Betty. Is, are there any, is there a John and Betty that are married here today? No, good, okay. All right, so this is nobody. I'm not thinking of anybody, okay? John and Betty have been married for 25 years. They have a relatively good marriage. They come out to church on Sundays and they smile when they're supposed to smile and all those kinds of things. And John is completely committed to his family. He tried to break into his house in the middle of the night, do something to his family. You're toast. I mean, I'm just telling you, it's just not going to happen with John. Um, If things go on in the local school district that John doesn't like, he's there. He cares about his kids. cares about his wife, how people treat his wife, all those kinds of things. But if you talk to Betty, you would find out that things have changed in the last 20 years. Now, now, John's there. He's not gone anywhere. But, you know, they they don't go for dates anymore. They don't go for those kind of those long walks where they just talk as friends do. Or those meaningful discussions. Now, things are rather short now. And Betty would tell you that Although John is committed to the family, he's there. Truth matters. The love isn't what it once was. Can that happen in families? The drift can happen in any one of our families. Can it happen in a church? I mean, you're here today. Praise the Lord. Thank you for coming. Is it possible over the years that you have just felt beaten down by a whole series of things? But you're standing. You're a person of truth. You don't like what's going on in the culture. And in your own way, you're responding to it. And it just keeps pounding at you. And sometimes you feel like Christianity is more of a duty that you fulfill before God. Christians, uh, with all their problems, they can, they, they can be a pain, to be honest with you. And the lost, you're callous to them because they're part of the enemy. Is it easy for that to happen in our lives? Life beats down. and So... If, if, if you've had any of those kinds of feelings ever, or a little bit, I think you might be able to relate to the church at Ephesus. It's not a bad church. Before we jump in and look at the text, let me, let me just pull back for a moment and mention uh, a couple things to you. I'm hoping you can... This map, I, I, may, I, I put all the arrows in, and after I did it, I thought, it may actually now be more confusing than it was before it started. <laughs> however, however, okay? <laughs> all that to say that these seven churches are all kind of grouped together in a similar area in Asia Minor. Can you see that? Yes. So when, when John is writing, he's writing to a particular area. He's in Patmos. Patmos is, 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 if you go to Ephesus and kind of go west, you can, it's, it's, it's an island there. He was actually put there. And there's debates over all what, how that all happened. But 
John had been involved with the church of Ephesus and churches in that area. And because of his faith now, Domitian, we're in the 90s, AD 90s. Domitian is ruling. He doesn't care for Christians. One of the things that apparently is happening is John is taken and put in Patmos. And it's from Patmos that John is going to have this great revelation and he's going to be writing back to these churches. And one of the churches, Ephesus, he's quite familiar with because of his previous ministry there. So he writes to this group of churches, and then I gave you this other sheet, which, praise the Lord, I'm not going to go over in any kind of detail with you. I just gave it to you. But I thought you might want to have it for our series, because what it does is it lists for you every one of the seven churches, and then it kind of breaks down the different sections for, for each of those churches that you find repeated. And so it's just a reference for you. I'm not going to go through it in detail now or anything like that. It's just something that you can have. You can kind of test us in the next couple of weeks saying, hey, Thinkbinder forgot the commendation or whatever, whatever you want to do with it. So it's there for whatever you want to do with. Here is, if you went to Ephesus today, and, and if, if you've never been to Turkey, you ever get a chance to go to Turkey, I've only ever been there twice. But I love Ephesus. It's my favorite place to be in Turkey, although Pergamum's really good too. But, but incredible because you can actually walk and get a feel for what the city actually looked like. These walkways are still there today. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to use your imagination because things are broken down. But, but this is where, what John is writing to. And one of the things you would find in this city, as well as all kinds of other cities, is you will find temples and shrines everywhere. You will find emperor worship, temples given over to the emperor himself. Diocletian loved that kind of stuff. It's where, it's where things are. And it's into this world of incredible pressure that the church has because of the culture around it that John writes. And some of the churches are holding on for dear life. And other churches have completely assimilated into the culture. And then several are in between. Does that sound like us? You see what I mean? I mean, if you can't find your name in one of the seven churches, you're just not reading. Because we're all there at one level or another. And so you may gravitate to more than one than, than to the other. Ephesus itself is it, such an interesting church because you can find out so much about it because you could actually do a study of this church over a period of about 60 years. Starting when it was created, when it was started by Paul in Acts, running all the way through the New Testament into a time after the New Testament is done. And a guy by the name of Ignatius is running, writing around, we don't know exactly, 110, 120 AD. And he writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. So you kind of get a feel for this Ephesus church all the way through. You can do a case study on the church. We're not going to today. But I'm just saying, we're going to step into just at one of those times in its life cycle. And it's fascinating to think about. So let's look at the text itself. What does he say to the church of Ephesus? 
Jesus Christ's evaluation of the church in the first four verses. Let's see what he says. First of all, we have the evaluator. Um, every year, about this time of year, I have a, a uh, what do they call it? I, I don't, I, they don't call it a progress report. What, a review, yeah, something like that. But I got to meet with the guy that heads up our department, you know. Matter of fact, I got to do it this week. I think it's on Thursday. And I, so I got to get my portfolio all done. And, and I'm sure what you do is you get that done throughout the year. I wait three days before, and then I try to think about everything I did. Okay. So it's always, it's always a pain in the neck. It'll be Wednesday. We'll be given over to some of those things. And I'll gripe and complain and get it done. And then I'll go in before that guy. And there's got to be an evaluator. Right? And then he makes an evaluation. Gives you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Right? Just kind of how it works. We have an evaluator here. And it's Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, James spoke on this last week. And I have to tell you, James, I didn't get a chance to listen to the message yet. Yet, I plan to. So I don't know what interpretation he took on the angel thing. So I, 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 I didn't, didn't get to all, all that. He got into that. So there, there, there's all kinds of different views on who the, the, these angels are in Revelation. Okay? Some people think that they're angels. Supernatural angels. Other people say, because the word angel can just mean messenger. So it could also just be a human messenger. Maybe somebody that had gone to Patmos and seen John and was the one that took the letter back to the church. It's possible too. And others say, no, it's just a symbolic way to talk about the church as a whole. I don't think it's that one. I think at the end of the day, because of the way the word angels is used in the book of Revelation, every other time I can search outside of Revelation 2 and 3, it means angels. And so to suggest that it's a human messenger is possible because it can be used that way in the scripture. Um, strikes me as probably less likely in this book. Because God often, as he's designing and doing what he's doing in this world, utilizes angels behind the scenes in ways that you and I just don't fully understand. Uh, we know that from the book of Daniel, these things happen. So, so I think when he says angels, he means angels, right? So to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? Because he's actually representing the church, this, this being, these are the ones who hold the seven, seven stars in his hands. And we know from chapter 1 that those seven stars represents the churches, doesn't it? Um, I'm sorry, the, the, the angels and, and the seven golden lampstands represent the church. And here's what I think is really fascinating. In chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus has the seven stars and he's in the midst of the lampstands. This section says Jesus grasps and holds on to those stars and walks among the lampstands. You know what I think he's telling us? Jesus has complete authority. What about, the, that's mine. Wait a minute, I got it. And I'm so concerned about my people that I don't stand at a distance, but I walk among them for they are my people. 
I have both authority and I am intimately connected with my people. You know what that makes me think? On the one hand, it makes me think like, ah. <laughs> on the other hand, it makes me think like, ah. he's here and he's here as king. And he's the one that's going to evaluate. So when he speaks, you better listen. So what is the evaluation itself? Find this in verses 2 to 4. And as you can see in the, the PowerPoint here, there's both a positive and a negative. Well, I'm going to start with the positive. Because I don't know about you, but this church has a lot of good things going for it. Look at what it says. Verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. You walk by and you visited this church, you'd say a couple things. You would say, those people have been at it for a long time and they're not going anywhere. They persevere. And they work hard. They don't stop. Maybe you want to call it the Martha syndrome, whatever. They're hard workers. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Folks, that's commendable, isn't it? They're not moving. They're not going anywhere. They stay at it. And when they stay at it, they have all kinds of pressure coming upon them. And when falsehood, because think about this. This is really hard for us to understand. In the ancient world, everything was connected to the local temples around you. You went to birthday parties there. You met your friends there. You ate the meat there. Everything tied into that stuff. And they're in a world where the political social structure itself, and one of the things, one of the things we find as, as, as we actually read on here is he's going to talk there in verse 6 about a problem with a group called the Nicolaitans. And, and, and what's so interesting about this group is they seem to be involved in what we would call moral compromise and basically said, look, that's what the culture is doing, so let's just engage it. And it talks about sexual immorality. Yeah, 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 the world's not exactly where it should be on sexual issues, but hey, you know, you got to flex a little bit. And the Ephesian church had all of this pressure around them. Why aren't you coming to our local temple and doing this? Don't you like our emperor? Because if you don't like our emperor, you're in big trouble. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you socially involved? Why don't you get with the political system? Why aren't you backing this? You know what I'm saying? Do you ever feel that way? I mean, do you ever feel that way looking around? We all do from time to time. Think there's any problems with sexual issues in our day? I mean, a couple. Maybe, you know. So we're not the church of Ephesus, but 
We are too, aren't we? Because we feel the pressure. In this church, when that pressure comes, it says they tolerate. The word tolerate is used twice here. You don't read it in the English, but in the Greek, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. It's, it's fascinating because when it comes to falsehood that comes into the church, it says you do not tolerate that. When it talks about your relationship to, the, to what comes at you from outside the church, you tolerate. Or it uses the word endure here. It's the same word in the Greek. And it's fascinating to me that, that this church, which is trying to relate somewhat to its, its culture around, is probably getting to the point where they're just saying, you know what, it's an us-them kind of a mentality. There's them out there. Let's isolate, control, protect ourselves, and try to stay around. And we'll just tolerate. We're not going to go after them. We're just going to try to get by. And that's part of what they're doing. But if falsehood comes into the church, man, they're all over that one. Because the truth matters. So if somebody comes into the church and says, look, we, we think that you should no longer see Jesus as the only way of eternal life. Well, you know, good men differ. Oh, no, not on that one. They don't. And they're, they're all over that. They're saying you're teaching something wrong. We will not allow for that false teaching. We will embrace broken people. We will not allow for false teaching. Do you see? This is a good church. That pressure's coming. They're tolerating, trying to work it through. When it, stuff breaks in, it's false teaching. They're right on it. Doesn't matter if the world is involved in all of that sexual perversity. They're saying, we're not going there. All that stuff is going on. You say, why write the letter to these guys then? Because he does commend them. That's really true, folks. But he also exposes a problem in the church. Look what he says in verse 4. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at the first. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent, do the things you did at the first. You know, let me come back to that. Let me just stay with verse 4 here for a little bit. Jesus on the one hand, commends the believers for their orthodox convictions, but he also exposes their loss of love. Is it possible to be a Christian for years and to drift away from that love and that passion which excited you in your earlier years? Oh, yeah. When he talks about the first love, again, scholars debate these things. Do you mean love for God or do you mean love for Christians or do you mean love for the lost? Yeah. I think it's a whole package, to be honest with you. It's a love for God, which inevitably leads to a love for Christians and others. Do you see? And I understand this. There are times in my life when my Christian life feels more like a duty. But I'm here. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Staying faithful to my wife and doing this with my kids. 
but I kind of sometimes feel like I'm just kind of going through the motions. And when, when I, sometimes when I think about the lost world around me, the first image that comes to my mind is enemy. Is that right? No, it's not right. I'm just telling you how I feel sometimes. Sometimes I can become calloused to other Christians. Oh, another Christian with another problem. Would they please go talk to somebody else? <laughs> Finkbinder, you don't ever think that way. Once in a while. It's not right. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it is. At times. And it is easy for the pressure of the world around us to allow us to begin to drift. Those times when, when you thought about the cross during communion and you would just completely weep are now few and far between. Those times where when that gospel has so impacted your life and you look at other people, you don't look at them as the enemy. You look at them as the victim who needs Christ. And you're, as Titus says, you're, 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 you're sensitive and you reach out to them. But not today. Today, they're the enemy. And Christians, they can just be pain, a pain in the neck. And we become calloused. Yeah, but I'm facing all of it. I get it. I get it. I get it. So think, Bonnie, you're telling me we should just throw out the truth. No, never, never. But it's got to be animated by love. Do you see? So Jesus presents the scenario. He says, this church is orthodox through and through. But there's something in their love life that is now missing. There was a commercial. You remember that? Old, if you're a young person, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, sorry. This is just a moment for the fat, for your parents. Um, remember that it, it was a it was a toothpaste commercial. You know, like, uh, and they would say, "How's your love life?" And the guy would say, "Well, Rome, Paris." Does anybody remember that commercial? You don't guys don't remember that? Anyway. Anyway, the only reason I bring it up is, how's your love life? And what I mean by that is not your love life with somebody of the opposite sex, but how is your love relationship with Jesus Christ? That's, what, that's a lousy illustration because nobody even knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Type in the computer sometimes, how's your life, love life toothpaste commercial, and you will know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? Oh, brother. Okay. So what does Jesus say to this group? After evaluating them, he gives a solution. And the solution is twofold. First of all, he's going to exhort believers to remember, repent, and return to their first love. And then he's going to give a reason for it. So let me, let me, let me read his response. Verse 5. Consider, I have the, the uh, NIV here. Consider how far you have fallen. It's literally, remember from where you have fallen. Okay. Repent and do the things you did at the first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The lampstand is, is, is the church and its impact. But 
you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. My wife and I were talking about this earlier this week. And I said, you know, if John would have checked with me before he wrote this. And he was presenting his case of commending them for what they have actually done. Why does this, verse 6 is very positive. Why doesn't he actually do that back in verse 2 and 3? Because he commends there. He could have easily done this at the end of verse 3. It would have fit beautifully. You know why I think he doesn't do it? Because when he seeks to correct them on loving, he wants to make it very clear that that doesn't mean that you no longer stand for the truth. So I want you to love from the inside out. I really appreciate how you face this group who we read about later in chapter 2, who are tied into sexual immorality and basically saying it's okay. And John says, I hate what they're teaching too. Actually, Jesus says, I hate what they're teaching too. So we're not talking about the answer to being people of truth that have become kind of duty-bound. We're not talking about throw out the truth and love. Love, love, love. Whatever that means. Man, you let people define that, you're in a heap of trouble. Oh no. Jesus says, there's a variety of things I want you to do. But in doing that, I'm reminding you, don't leave the truth. That's not an option here. So what's he say specifically to do? Remember the way it once was. And I think part of what he's saying here is, I mean, I, I, we know this in marriage. I mean, if you do marriage counseling and you deal with people, we often, will, people have told me this. I've told couples this a million times. I'll say something like, are you still doing with your wife today what you did with her in that first year of marriage? Like what? Do you ever go out for dates? You know, do you go for those long walks together? Do you, da, da, you know what I mean? We just kind of do that. And, and, and I think part of what John is saying is, I want you to stop and think about the way it was. When you first came to faith in Christ, you realized you were the worst of all sinners. And God saved you. And everybody out there that doesn't know Jesus Christ, they need him too. And all the Christians who have come to Christ who are struggling, man, you just want to have them love Jesus and follow him more. Yeah, what they're believing is wrong, and you're going to talk to them about it, but you're going to stay involved because you love them. Because you're completely overwhelmed with how much he has loved you. And it just completely takes you back. And just remember, remember those days? Yeah, man, I, oh man, I, I remember somebody could yell at me and you could, you could, you, I would just say back, praise the Lord, because you just need Jesus. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. I mean, that's just how you thought. Because I was just there a couple weeks ago. So I get it. And for Christians that are struggling, you're with them and you embrace them. You say, brother, I have my own struggles too. Let's just walk with Jesus around the truth. That's how you did it. Pretty simple life. And he says, you know, over the years, life has be beaten you down. And you've forgotten. Uh, you're, you're in church. 
may even have devotions. But it feels more like routine than anything else. Remember from where you have fallen. Go back and say, God, I've drifted. How did this happen? Because if you start by remembering, you can move to the next step, which is repent. Which means all of a sudden you change your mind about the way you're living. Lord, the lost world needs Jesus. It's not my job to destroy them. It's my job to love them. And be God's vehicle through which that love is shared. And help Christians because you've loved me. I love you. I can't imagine all you've done for me. Thank you, Jesus. You move into people's lives. Remember. Change the way you're thinking. Don't make excuses. Well, you know, life has been kind of tough. Yeah, okay, okay. But God is still God. Think differently. As you reflect back on the way it once was. And then he says, return to what you once did. Well, I I used to, I used to kind of walk around the park when no one was there. And I used to pray out loud to God and laugh with him and talk with him. And I was, I was just so, I was just so young and naive at those times. No, go back and do it again. Well, I used to come to his word. And I would open it up and I would say, God, I don't know anything about what's going on here. Although I have a study Bible now, so that helps me a little bit. But I just want you to speak to me. Because I'm dead if you don't. I mean, are you doing that still? Remember. Repent. Change the way you think. We turn back and begin to do those things you did it the first. And watch and see what God does. You can't manipulate your emotions. You can't make anything happen. But what you can do is you can be in a place where God can work. Do you see? And you place yourself there saying, I need you. I love you. Not as much as I should. But I do, and I want to love you more. And I want to love what you love, which is your people and a lost world who desperately needs Jesus Christ. John says, that's what you've lost. And it's understandable at one level, but it's not acceptable. So do each of those things, and in the process, verse 6 Retain your emphasis on truth. So you can love passionately and declare truth passionately at the same time. Matter of fact, if you don't, you're not loving. Do you see that? If I'm only focused on truth and it's, there's no love, that becomes cold and calloused. If I'm only focusing on, quote, love, however defined outside of God's parameters, and no truth, it's useless. It's a feel-good, but it's not, it's not true love. So he says, I want you to go back 
And in going back and allowing me to work in your love life, don't lose the perseverance in the truth base that you have. It's not one or the other. It's a both and. And then in kind of another wave, he says it like this. Oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And, and he says, the reason I want you to do this is because if you stop, if the chapel becomes a place of dead orthodoxy, we will follow the route of many churches through church history. Yeah, you can go over right now to England. And you can visit some amazing places, churches and cathedrals. They are gorgeous with five attendees. Their impact is gone. You can look back at major denominations in this country at one time that proclaimed the gospel that have now walked away from the gospel and promoted social issues that are completely contrary to the scriptures. And their light has gone out. Jesus says, I want my church to be both pure and loving at the same time. It's got to be both. Folks, we wrestle with what that looks like. I get it. But we've got to keep those in tension. Otherwise... The chapel will be nothing but a memory of, when I was a kid, I went to a place called the chapel. My prayer is 20 years from now, this place is cooking. We're gone. Tim and I are gone. We might still be around 20 years. 40 years from now. James, well, James is younger. 50 years from now, whatever. 50 years, 60 years from now, you know, we're gone, but this baby is cooking. Impacting the culture, standing for the truth, loving people, loving God. That's what we want. That's what we want. But there's no promise if we don't depend on him. We can't live on our laurels in the past. It's got to be now. And one, another way there in verse 7, he says this. Again, this call. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Who has ears to hear? Believers, if you're a believer in Christ, you have ears to hear. Let him hear. The spirit of God is calling and working in your heart. And he's saying, think biner. And he's putting his finger on something in my life. That's got to change. Your love life has got to change there. I can change you. I can help you. Only I can do it. I'm the spirit of God. And the spirit of God calls, and, he, and he, he's calling to people in all the churches, but to believers. So as I'm speaking to you on the, on the outside, the spirit of God is speaking to you on the inside. And Jesus makes the appeal. You got ears to hear. You got spiritual ears. Listen to the convicting work of the spirit within you. That is so good. That that comes up in every church appeal. That's how good it is. And he gives a promise on this one too. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life 
which is in the paradise of God. Now, I don't know if this is true. I'm just going to throw it out as a possibility. But um, the, the leading, well, I know part of this is true. Um, worship of Artemis, that was, the, that was the leading temple in Ephesus at this time. And you can go online and look at what, the, what it looked like. It's amazing uh, what that whole thing looks like. Um, so, sorry, I went off here on Artemis and I just thought my lost my train of thought. Tree of life. Ah, tree of life. Okay, thank you. Paradise, actually. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Tim. Good, good. They had a grove near that temple. And it was often called paradise. Now, I don't know if John is specifically thinking of that. I don't know for sure. That's what I'm not sure about. He will use the paradise three more times in the book of Revelation in the last chapter. I'm, I'm not paradise. The, the, the tree of life three more times in the last chapter. And I wonder if part of what James, John is saying is, you know what? That false pagan religion, which is going to be gone. If you go back and visit Ephesus today, you know what's left of that temple? Which you go back and read the book of Acts and the idea is this thing's going to be here Forever. There's one little post. And that was reconstructed. That's it. Remember standing beside that with my wife and going like, that's it, man. Religions and nations come and go, but the kingdom of God continues. Do you see? And could it be that John is saying they may have their own little paradise grove right there, but that ain't nothing compared to what you're getting in heaven. Because in heaven... The tree of life, which was lost in the garden because of sin. They could not partake of it. In Revelation 22, three times it's mentioned. God's people will live forever. Complete human flourishing at every level. And God says, listen to the spirits. See where you are. Think, repent, return, and allow the Spirit of God to change you from the inside out. So that you can live the truth with conviction out of a devoted love. Don't lose the one, but have the other. I am. Um, going to make this application, then I'm going to wrap it up because I see my time's running quickly. The sexual revolution has won the day at one level. At least it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? Ours is not temple worship with the emperor and all that kind of stuff and the sacrifices that go in there and the sexual immorality from temple prostitution, blah, 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 blah. No, no, that's not ours. But we've got our stuff, don't we? And it is easy for us to approach these issues as an us-them. Now, there is an us-them at some level, is there not? Because there's truth and falsehood. And we must stand on the truth. But we must always do it in a loving, humble, gentle, kind, persistent way. And what that looks like, 
varies from individual to individual based upon their opportunities and, 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 and resources, okay? There's a whole host of things that go into that. But I cannot allow the, these kinds of outside pressures to keep me from declaring the truth or to declare the truth in a way that is no longer loving. It has got to be both because I always start with my relationship with God. And I think about how much I've been loved, how much I've been forgiven. And that overwhelms me as I move into my world with patience and gentleness and humility and yet with truth and seek to reach a world around me that doesn't know Christ. I think that's the message of the book of, uh, of, of, of this church. And I don't know where you are and all the things, but I tell you what, um, I see my name written on this one. If you're like me, God's got to continue, continue to drive me back to the gospel so that I put myself before God's spirit and say, you got to do a work from the inside out because I can't do it. And let him work. And then don't be surprised what he does. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is relevant today. Good grief. So much so, Lord, that it makes us uncomfortable. Lord, I know we say this often, but would you, would you overwhelm us by your spirit afresh with the wonders of the gospel? What you've done for us in Jesus Christ, how that has tenderized our hearts, how that has transformed us, how that has changed the way that we relate to others. So we do declare the truth. But it's really one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. The bread of life, Jesus Christ. So Lord, do your good work. May we be people of truth out of a heart of love. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I sing for a 
Thank you for this time of praise. 
Father, I just pray that uh, this Doug's message would seep deep into our hearts, Lord. Uh, this, uh, this relationships that grow stale over time, Lord, we're um, definitely guilty of that, Father. And I just pray that, uh, that we would seek to address that in our lives, Father, that we would just be, uh, have a, a cup that is refilled to overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen.